Hi, Steve. Hello, Dan Landrum. How are you? I'm excited today. I got up early. I'm rolling hard. I've been going all day. I'm going to try to go until like 9 o'clock, and then I want to hit the sack. I'm probably uh, I'm probably not going to do it. Uh, do you know which part you're probably not going to do? Hit the sack at 9. I am a... Oh. I am a morning person living in a night owl's body. Don't you think it causes us harm as far as general productivity to say things we're going to do when we realize it's not really realistic? Mm, sometimes it does. There's a, there's it's a there's some it's a complex um, soup. Yeah, but I think it applies to being a dulcimer geek. You've always got to bring everything back to dulcimer, don't you? It seems like it, that's what we do. <laughs> I'm a dulcimer geek, but that's not all I do. I juggle. I can do yo-yos. I, I had rollerblades at one point. I like to eat. Yeah, I guess I did all of those things. Uh, maybe not to, the, you know, I guess we did them to different degrees. When we moved to Signal Mountain, I had been uh, inline skating a lot. Signal Mountain, which is where my house is. And I thought... You can inline skate on the in hills. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> Unless you're those crazy people you see videos, you know, with GoPros on their helmet and they're going down mountains, which I'm not one of those. Yeah, you know, where you live is much more than hills, really, to me. It's that's pretty serious. Well, it's hilly around it's certainly hilly around here. Uh I've I've known enough people from California that I'm embarrassed now to say that we live in the mountains. I understand. Well you also but, tried repugnant bicycles too. I still do repugnant bicycles. That's <laughs> the ones he's talking about recumbent bikes where you lean back and your legs are out in front of you and, and, and you climb a hill and it's a little bit harder to climb and people will uh, see you climbing and they'll go, look at you just leaning back there, relaxing, going up the hill. <laughs> and you're about to not be able to See, like anymore. right now, we don't have to bring back repugnant bicycles and somehow relate it to dulcimer. Like I was just thinking in my mind. Dulcimers are like repugnant mm. bicycles. It does come back to it, though. It's kind of the same thing, Steve. Uh, and, I, and I don't know if I, this was a point of pride for me or if this was something that was hurtful or even what its intent was, but someone said to me probably 10, 10 15 years ago, Landrum, you do the things you do just because you want to be different. You work hard to be different. I think you're bored. I don't think it's easy for you to keep your attention on one thing and maybe just to survive you've you've done a lot of weird stuff. Are you talking about me or are you talking about the you general? I'm talking about you. The cosmic you. I don't think that's true. I think I've been doing this dulcimer thing since I found it. I've been doing computer things since before, you know, they were cool. Right, but I'm I'm not saying you're doing it to be cool. No, no, but I'm saying I don't think I jump around that much. I think maybe I try a few things. I kayaked like crazy for years. I mean, doing lots of lots of cool rivers and, you know, complex stuff. And I quit that only because the guy I used to kayak with uh, died, unfortunately, my, my good buddy, and it sort of didn't have as many fun memories for me anymore. I don't uh Listen, don't you've done a lot of stuff. Were you just saying... You were just, I think I heard you just say that you, you don't really jump around a lot. That's not true. I don't think I do jump around a lot. What are you lot. talking about? I think what, and I think that's what bothered me when the guy said, you do things just to be different. I'm like, no, I really, those recumbent bicycles. He said that to me when I was, 
I was probably riding a recumbent bicycle commuting at the time and probably had my hammer dulcimer strapped to my back going in. So I looked like Buzz Lightyear, you know, at the top of the trapezoid sticking out. Yeah, and, I know. I, I'm not saying you you do it just to be different or whatever. I think you need variety in your experiences. You've pursued all these different things. You're a Renaissance man of sorts. I'm not really sure what that means ever because it means something different to everybody else. And I'm not completely comfortable that it sounds like we're talking about me and I'm talking about the collective us as dulcimer geeks. I think there's a personality type that gets driven towards these types of things. And it's not necessarily because it's different, but it is different. And so therefore, it's one of those things where it allows people to... to look at everybody and then draw some inference from it and say that's the way that it is. But I was drawn to the sound, and I had no idea that there were groups. I, I, had, I played for a long time before I knew there were festivals, before I knew anything about that stuff. I was drawn to the sound. Of, you know, we talked about this, I think, in the first podcast, maybe. I was drawn to the hammer dulcimer sound, but I ended up at the uh, doorstep of the mountain dulcimer and even though the sound was really cool, I think for me it had more to do with the repertoire and the history, both Appalachian and then all the hippies. And it had to do with the state of mind, and it was a diatonic instrument. And and, uh, and, and all right, so there's that's a branch at that point for you. That's that's different from me. But I did like that it was different. Yeah, I did, I, I want to focus on this branch for just a minute. I love trees. We we were still drawn to this thing because of that diatonic sound, I think. And because we sat down and played it and felt a sense of accomplishment probably relatively quickly. And I think that same thing still happens to people today when yeah, they start that's playing right. dulcimers. Right away, I was a pianist, but, but I wanted to be a guitarist, but I didn't want to play guitars, and somehow this fused the two, and I got that immediate, uh, that immediate result you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, the branch that you created just a minute ago had to do with history and, and you know, the, the and community and those kinds of things. That's legit because there is community and there is history, but it's not a powerful history, you know? It's not like there's a, a dulcimer hall of fame like there's a rock and roll oh, hall of fame. Oh, to me there has been. I used to lay there. I got <laughs> That's a bunch why of, you're a geek. Right. I got a bunch of those early dulcimer books. Like there was the Lois Hornbostel had some and Bonnie Carroll. Um, mm -hmm. the, those were some of the ones that had most of the pictures in them. I also had, I mean, I could list a whole bunch of names, but um, basically the first two or three years I played dulcimer, I'm kidding you not, I would lay there. And look at those pictures, the same ones over and over again, and just think, who are these people? Where are they that they're all hanging out? It would say Rabbit Junction, something Colorado, I would think. <laughs> I want to be there. I really, one of the major draws for me was the community and, and the history, which you combine the Appalachian history with all the hippie history, you got 100 years right there. Right. Is that what brings people in now, though? Some. And I'm not, I want to be really clear that I'm not saying, I'm not discounting that history at all. I'm fascinated by it also. And I, you know, I've been through every Dulcimer player's news multiple times. And <clears throat> I love, oh, yeah. I love seeing the old pictures that come in. I this, love those. This past issue, we had a, a picture of Bill Spence 
you know, which was one of those old pictures. And every time I see them, I'm like, man, that seems like it's a was a better time for dulcimers than it is right now. Do you think that's true? No. Not that I think that, but do you think that, that it's true? No. Why? I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I mean, why do I think that's not true? I mean, um, you know, sometimes I think of the golden age of the dulcimer as being like the middle 70s to the late 80s. <laughs> you know, I mean, I like a lot of different periods, but there was a certain explosion of sharing going on there. And when you look in those early DPNs, Dulcimer Player News magazines, um, you get this sense, you know, there was no internet. These people were connecting up and like you'll see Jerry Rockwell saying, hey, guys, uh, look at this. Check this out. Everybody was doing that. It's even so when you look at the the books for and there weren't that many, but the books that were written for kayakers at the time, there's this this guy. And I really apologize for not remembering his name right now, who, who did all these uh, hand-drawn, handwritten books about rivers of the southeast. They all look like Dulcimer Players News ads. Right. <laughs> and there was that certain thing that was happening throughout the folk world. All over. That feel that's a little, that's maybe a little bit lost right now. See, I think when some of those magazines hit where you had independent publishers with small circulations, you know, like 100 people or whatever, I think that was a, that was a new thing for the planet. You've got people in different parts of the, the country and in the world connecting and sharing. That, that, that wouldn't have happened during the Civil War like that, you know? There weren't even as many people that were literate. So let me be straight. I absolutely, when I, what really got me going with the dulcimer was holding it in my lap, hearing it, feeling it, playing it, and I was hooked on that. But when I realized there was a community of people sharing, and you know, these pictures are like the 70s and 80s, but at that point, when I was like 19 and 20 years old, I thought it was all happening right then. But I thought, oh, wow, you mean I could also be a part of this? This looks great. <laughs> and I, I wanted to be a part of something. I'd been through summer camp where you get to, you know, everybody, that's, I, I really wanted summer camp for adults and I wanted it to be about the dulcimer and it. I think that's a unique um, part of history. Now, what we have today is is definitely a different kind of that. Not not totally, but... I don't know. I think it's the same thing, just with different technology. I think what's different today is um, there was a period where people really were discovering things about it. Well, then the devil's fret came around. The what? The devil's fret, the one and a half fret. That's just sort of... The six and everything. a half fret. Oh, the, no, the one and a half is the devil's fret now. The six and a half was in its time. Oh, I thought you said double's fret, like double meant gum. But I get you. You meant devil. Was it? Yeah. Well, you... No, because those kind of, seriously, those kind of little polarizing things happen that, that cause, you know, factions start to start to happen. My point in all that is I don't think things really change. And most often in life, I think we look back and realize that whatever we just came out of, that was the good old days. Sure. Uh, but there really was discovery going on. What do you do with a capo? What happens if you mm -hmm. if you tune D A D D G D D A C D G A? You know whatever. What if you do all that with a capo? Uh, what if you do four string equidistant? Uh, what's this I, whole yeah. thing about compensating the bridge? 
uh, what, why are people complaining about uh, frets in the wrong place and what can we do about it? There was development. There was progress. Um, I'm not saying those were the good old days, but to me, that was kind of a golden age of discovery. And it was like taking this instrument and modernizing some aspects of it that really made it, to me, for me, it made it a more useful tool. You wouldn't have known it was a useful tool if there hadn't been some point of reference, though. Well, yeah, and so I'm thankful we had it. Yeah, and maybe that's the technology that I'm talking about. And by technology, that's what I meant, you know, the, the technology that goes into building the instruments and even the references of... it's it, The same thing happened in classical music. If you ever hear an, a real early music concert played on authentic early instruments, it doesn't sound good to us. It sounds you know? good to me, but I know what you mean. Yeah, it has to sound, yeah. If you produced those tones, you know, out of your violin or or out of your dulcimer, I mean, you're not playing an ambergy. Right, but that's a whole... Why not? Uh, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this, my little friend. <laughs> tell people what an ambergy is who don't know, who, aren't, who haven't gotten their dulcimer geek... Uh, uh, secret decoder ring yet. All right. Well, there's a lot of dulcimer histories, a lot of roots, but the, um, I almost said L. Ron Hubbard, but that's the wrong guy. <laughs> I'm thinking of, um, 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 not John Hardy, uh, 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 uncle Ed Thomas dulcimer. Ken- that's right. Kentucky, you know, early 1900s. Um, and we learned about that through the Gene Ritchie family. Right. Um, and then later on, Jethro Ambergy kind of studied, those dulcimers and years later started making them and and um i don't know the full history of that but they're very similar it's before he went to to start jethro tall the band right, right that's right um so before that, he did his thing on uh, beverly hillbillies too these old dulcimers did you just tell a joke i'm gonna keep moving these yeah. old dulcimers were not fretted the way ours are today they were often we suspect either fretted by ear or they would, of course, follow somebody else's pattern. But the ones that were done by ear were, there was a purity to them. If you take a choir and you get them to sing without a piano and then you record that, then have them sing the same thing with piano accompaniment, they'll actually be, it'll be a slightly different group of uh, pitches they use. And there's something about when you don't have that accompanying instrument playing chords in what's called equal temperament, it's a different thing. And the old instruments, like what you're talking about, they used a different system. And I'll recommend this. There's a, there is a topic on everything dulcimer, and we'll put this in the show notes. Um, just recently, Robin over in, uh, over in the UK He's got three McSpaddens. One's fretted equal temperament. One is fretted uh, just tuning. Um, uh, the third one is fretted uh, mean tone. <laughs> right. That's right. Very good. Mean tone. That's the other All one. All right. So he, he describes this, and he lets you see and hear them back to back on this video. And then but, and we, we talk a little bit about that. Below that, I post a video of a guy talking about how string players go between um just tuning pythagorean or anyway if you're hearing all this and you're thinking that's all too nerdy you're right and i'm not going to go any deeper into it but 
it's not as simple as each octave has 12 notes and here's the official notes. <laughs> so so these older instruments definitely harken back to a different time and the newer ones are more in line so that they will be compatible with guitars and pianos and all that kind of stuff. Right. Is that geeky enough? K- kinda. Yeah. Yeah, there's I mean there's more that I could say about it too, but I don't I guess we want to neither one of us are would consider ourselves to be experts on it, but I do know that if you hear early instruments and by early I'm talking about violins and viola da gambas and those kinds of things, they weren't really even intended to play in multiple keys. They were intended, they played well in a particular key. And what you called... You're uh, talking about fretted ones, fretted violas. I'm talking, I'm talking about all of them. I'm talking about all but of them. But not fretless. That's right. Yeah, I'm but talking about s- fretted instruments. But then you had, you had, yeah, you had pitched instruments to where you played strings that were at certain pitches. And that's what comes before even the, the fretted instruments. You know, because you had tones. You had tones and scales, that like harps. You're Think scaring about early me. Harps. I'm frightened. Oh, I don't, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I guess what I'm getting at is if somebody, like you said, fretted the instrument, and, and when, you, when you say that, you're talking about put the frets on the instruments by their ear, they're fretting it, putting the frets on in a way that it's going to sound good, probably playing in A key, and on a dulcimer, it probably was D. Right. Well, one way they used to do it is they would have the dulcimer strung up, and then you'd take like a nail and run it under the string, and, mm-hmm. and you would think, do, re, mi, fa, so, whatever. When it sounded mm-hmm. right, you'd mark it, and that's where you'd stick your little wire fret lighter or whatever. Yeah. If I understand it correctly, and this is, this is probably too geeky, but if, if you get the fifth perfect, and this is one of the problems then the third is not. You're, and, yeah. And, and what they call a well-tempered piano, or even-tempered, You're works very all that out with some math. You're an even, even-tempered man. I hope so. I think I am. So in the, on the piano, all your octaves are totally in tune. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go into this anymore. But all yeah, of the other it. notes... Everything's been designed with the modern system so that everything is equally out of tune. And we've kind of gotten used to it. It's pretty useful. When I say out of tune, it doesn't mean it's a terrible thing. But let, I think the important thing is that, especially with Mountain Dulcimer, they made a move from that older system to the newer one. And I think a lot of that happened in the 60s, 70s, 80s. For Hammer Dulcimer and for Auto Harps, there's been similar things where they t- there were different ways to tune them, right? Yeah, that one's tough to know too, Steve. Really, I haven't seen... If you have a bridge and you stretch a string across it, you're going to get one pitch on one side and one pitch on the other. And if you set that thing so that it's two-thirds from one edge and and three-thirds, excuse me, two-fifths from one edge and three-fifths from the other edge, you get that perfect musical fifth. You get a perfect fifth. And then that's how you get the do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do scale. That doesn't allow itself... For, for tempered tuning. Well, when I would tune to pure fifths, then it would get out eventually when I was tuning that little hammer dulcimer I used to have. Mm-hmm. So I, fi- <laughs> I think the only way I got a hammer dulcimer in tune early on was to use a tuner, personally. When do you think those started? Uh, I've had a tuner ever since I started playing. 
I got a tuner when I got my first dulcimer about 1988. I didn't know they existed. All I knew, I knew that we had those little, uh, those little pitch pipes, but I couldn't. Yeah, I had one of those. I, I couldn't hear the difference. I didn't yet know what to listen for. So originally, I would just play a note on a piano or electronic keyboard and guess. I didn't really, I wasn't good at it. I would just do it by ear. And I think I did that for a year. It would give me a headache every time. I was constantly wondering, what am I doing wrong? But really, after a year or two, I got better with my ear. Then I started to know what to listen for, not just the pitch, but the wah-wahs. Um, I got pretty good with my ear, and then I discovered electronic tuners. I kind of, I really enjoy um, making use of both of them. But for me, electronic tuners probably didn't come in until after I'd already been playing five years or something. That's pretty good, Steve. I mean, that's that's probably good for ear training. Well, after I'd been playing three years, I saw David Schnaufer live. He checked his tuning in between every song. He did not have a tuner. I didn't know about tuners. It just kind of I I remember thinking I'm really terrible at tuning by ear. I guess I'll get better. It's just part of the job, apparently. You know. Well, I play guitar. I mean, I guess I play piano first, but on guitar, I had a fork. You know, and so you you tune, and then you would listen. If I remember correctly, we got really good at listening for the beats, listening for that wah 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 wah, and then you tuned by harmonics. And I was really surprised that there wasn't a good way to do that with a hammered dulcimer. Maybe if you're in a perfectly quiet room, you could get, pull that off. But in most cases, just the ambient noise of where you are uh, doesn't make it happen. Probably the electronic tuner. Uh, well, I guess I have to walk this back before I even say it. I was going to say probably the electronic tuner made it easier for lots of people to get together and play the sure. same instrument. Well, you hear about that, that like in the 70s. They would get together, and you'll hear people just laughing about this, about how everybody was so out of tune. Because a lot of folks were beginners, you know? So you had instruments where the frets... Some dulcimers were fretted the old way, but some of them were just fretted poorly. So you had people with instruments fretted poorly, high action, but notes are going sharp, nobody's got an electronic tuner, most people are new, they can't develop their ear uh, that fast. So I've heard lots of stories about how when the electronic tuner came on the scene, it made everything better, <laughs> which I think for me, you've got to have both. And so I encourage people, hey, no matter how bad you are tuning by ear, every time you get a little tiny bit better at that, that's going to make you a better user of your electronic tuner, I think. Yeah. I don't think I could tell a hammered dulcimer player, though, that it's a good... It's certainly work on your ear, and I have methods of tuning that I oh, teach... I see what you're saying. ...that cause them to work their way around, but my goodness, you got to have some kind of a life and actually get out and play some. And if you're trying to tune that thing by ear all the time, so, it's just too... No piano tuners do that. So see, well, maybe they do. Like Jerry Rockwell is our guru on the mountain dulcimer as far as tuning, fret placement... Uh, how far the fifth's off, how many cents, and all that. So who's the hammer dulcimer uh, tuning guru number guy? <sighs> Sam Rosetta, maybe? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some other folks who, who've maybe even written more about it, but Sam is, you know, he's got an engineer's mind and an 
and the habit <laughs> of, of constantly working on that. I would like and, to and Nick as well. Yeah. Nick Blanton. I would yeah. like to. Um, I'd love to read a little article or or something about um, how do you tune a hammer dulcimer by ear? Because I'm with you. I. You know. I know a piano tuner is can be trained to tune their open fifths where that the fifth above the the, the root is just mm-hmm. barely flat on purpose. And they, they learn to count those wah-wahs. They make sure their octaves are in tune. I don't know how all that works, but there's got to be some crazy person out there that's going to tell us, yeah, you can do it, but uh, in the end, you're better off using a tuner. Yeah, I think you're going to be better off using a tuner. Just just as a piece of specific instruction, though, I think the habit that hammer dulcimer players have of just starting on one bridge and tuning all the way up and starting on the other one and tuning all the way up is bad for them because it's not teaching you the notes. And I'll tell you so, one good reason to know uh, if you're in tune or out of tune. You know, one good reason to be able to use your ear to tune is that when you're on stage and one of your strings slips, you actually hear it and know it. Mm-hmm. It's It's an alert that can throw you to pulling your tuner out real quick or something. Um, some people that have only used electronic tuners, they're not even sure if they're in tune or out of tune unless that thing is on, and that's a little dangerous. That is. What was your first tuner, electronic tuner? The first one. Not counting something you had for guitar. I, I'm remembering now the first one. I could be wrong about this. I might have been... I think I got my first tuner in 1996. I think I started playing in 91. And it was a boss, and it had the needle on it. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, it was that thing that was... Uh, looked like a, It was like a candy bar. A big, a big, fat candy bar. Big, fat candy bar, yeah. Did you ever own the one, which I think was a Korg tuner? That, was the that f- looked like a cassette? Well, I went to a session in Maryland, and <clears throat> I guess it was my first dulcimer recording session a bunch of really great bluegrass players just really famous folks and i somehow ended up in there and i was tuning by ear and all these guys were like oh you yeah you really if you're going to do studio work you got to have one of these and they all had it and it it was a black korg and it was like in a cassette tape case or something yeah here it is i just found it that's what i had too that was that thing was uh i don't know it's probably 75 dollars or something like that so where are you uh Oh, where am I looking at that? No, I was going to say, where are you going next week? But before I do that, before I do that, these uh, strobe tuners, you introduced me to a strobe tuner and um, I don't know the exact numbers, but it seems like they get me maybe one decimal point closer. It never says you're in tune exactly. It just tells you you're closer, you're closer, you're closer. I've had a lot more success with those. Um, I don't use anything other than a strobe tuner now. For me, it just it gets it as close as my ear does, and the well, others are, are always yeah. off a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have the equipment to actually, you know, test those things. And I know when I use, I have a real Peterson piano. You know, a real strobe, a mechanical strobe that goes right, with I the love thing spinning thing. around, and. Uh, I love it, and when I'm going to record, that's the thing I use. But I, I guess I'll put on sunglasses to use it, and you know, make sure the lights are all turned up in the room because it, it gives me a little bit of a headache. They make the most expensive tuner, right? It's like ten thousand dollars, twelve mechanical spinning wheels. 
Yeah, something like they're really crazy ones. Yeah. So where are you going next week? Oh, uh, this is a big well, deal to me. It depends on when this thing airs, uh, when this podcast airs. Oh, I, might, right. I might just be going to. Uh, this might air in 2020. <laughs> but as of right now, I'm leaving for Zambia. Whoa! On Tuesday morning, Zambia, Africa. Not Zambia, Mississippi. Nope. Not Paris, Tennessee. I'm going to Zambia, Africa for a wedding, and I'm playing just a bunch of a uh, bunch of old church musicy kinds of songs. Uh, Shall we gather at the river, and you know those kinds of things for this wedding for someone who uh, is from the United States, but was in the Peace Corps and met someone there and fell in love, and they want to get married in Africa, so. Uh, her mom's foot in the bill to put the whole thing together. So, well, when you get back, crazy? I want to hear about f- how do you take a hammer dulcimer to Africa and get it back. You, can I tell you what I'm going to do? <laughs> and then you'll tell us how it worked out. <clears throat> yeah, and then we'll just see how it works out. So, yeah, that's, that's actually a really good idea, Steve. So the options were: I put it in a big, heavy case and pay six hundred bucks for it to go under the plane, and and then not have any way for transportation to work once I hit the ground. See, that's a problem because people have to shuttle you around from place to place. Right. And you're riding with other people and those kinds of things. So so second option was to go ahead and just trust sticking it under the plane in its soft case. And hammer dulcimers are actually pretty tough. Uh, the, this I'm taking a Dusty Strings D300 and... You know, while they wouldn't recommend this, you you know, the builders have told me you can stand on them in the center you know, <laughs> right. and it won't break them. Uh, so what I'm going to do is carry the thing with me. It's, you know, most airlines will let you carry on a guitar now and stick it in the, clo- clo- the clothes closet at the front or, you know, if it's not too long, put it in overhead. But this thing will actually fit in overhead. But really, it's the only thing that's going to fit in most bins, yeah. if you do. It's 40 inches long at its longest side. So what I'm going to do is carry it with me to try and carry it on and carry that letter that says, hey, look, airlines, and this is this should let musicians on and all that. And then gate check it if they make me. Because then the odds are it goes on top underneath the plane. And then pick it up, you know, and carry it to when we change flights. So it'll be uh, Nashville to to Washington, then Washington to someplace in South Africa, and then up to Zambia. If the there. thing gets busted during the I'm trip there, but what? How would you improv to make it happen for the wedding? Look for a xylophone or something. Hand I'm drum. Taking, I have no idea. I have no idea. It wouldn't happen. Why I mean, don't you put your out. little ukulele in with? Um, with uh, Angie's luggage or something. I'm taking a bunch of camera gear, and <laughs> I'll take really good pictures for them as well <laughs> so that they're, they're happy with the photography. All right, so we're all going to want an update on that. Yeah. Are you ready to place a button on this envelope? I guess it's, it's time. There's so much more to say, Steve. Our lives aren't even, you know, we've only just begun. We've only just, I can't sing it. I'm going to work on that while you're in Africa. Hey, All right, I'll see you next time. Adios.